We're throwing off the filters of tradition and culture to discover what the Bible really says about relationships, relationships with God, with ourselves, and with others. Welcome to this episode of Relationship Truth Unfiltered. Welcome. I'm Julie Sedanko here with relationship expert, Leslie Vernick. And today we're talking about purity culture. Now, this was a big discussion topic in our conquer group with many women saying that they were damaged by the pressure of staying pure or feeling the pressure to marry someone with whom they had sex before marriage. Leslie, do you want to describe a little bit what purity culture is so that we have some context of this type of teaching? Yeah, so the Bible tells us that um, sex outside of marriage is wrong, um, and I think we need to understand a context for that. So if God created marriage to be the most safe and trusting relationship system that a person could live in in order to raise healthy children, you can understand why he doesn't want you to give yourself away in lesser ways to less safe or less trusting people or less bonded relationships. So he created this marriage relationship and he said, hey, inside of marriage, there's this amazing gift I want to give you, which is a sexual relationship. It's not just for procreation. It's also for pleasure and recreation. One of the things that it's maybe women don't understand or know is that God put a little button in your body called the clitoris that is just for pleasure. There's no other purpose for that. Why would God do that? Because we have an amazing God who wants you to enjoy your sex life, but he has put some boundaries around that. Like this is how you will best enjoy that relationship inside of a committed, trusting relationship. So that's God's heart. The purity culture was designed, I guess, to teach young people to just say no. And they created a whole purity ring, purity proms, purity kind of events where dads would take their daughters to this event and then they would give them this purity ring and the daughter would pledge that I will not kiss a boy until I'm ready to get married to him. And guys, I don't know that guys had the purity ring actually, um, because it was like you were this present for your husband, like you were this gift that you could present to him. And if you gave it to someone else, you robbed him of his rightful gift as your pure bride. And so there was a lot of teaching that went into this culture that was on women, like, hey, all guys have a terrible sex drive that they are not going to be controlling themselves very well. So you better not tempt him. So make sure your dresses aren't too high. Your shorts aren't too short. Your slits don't go up too high. Your shirts don't go down too low. That, you know, it's all up to the woman to manage his sex drive. And it's still in that way somewhat now when women in our um, audience maybe go to Christian counseling and their husband's watching porn and somehow it's their fault because they're not willing to do some of the things he wants to do, or they're not willing to have sex three times a day or even five times a week. Or And so of course he can't help himself, but go watch porn or have an affair if you're not willing to do X, Y, Z. And so I think women have gotten this, this message of, hey, first your body is so important to keep pure that if you're if you've had a sexual relationship outside of marriage or if you were raped or sexually abused as a child, you're damaged goods. Like you've lost, you can't be pure again, you're done. And that's really hurt women's self-esteem. And second of all, we've gotten the message that 
if we do all this, we're we're blessed in a sex life that's going to be amazing, which hasn't happened for a lot of women. Right. Um, and the third thing is that it's all your burden to maintain the integrity of your man or your or men in general. Like, you know, if you if you were raped, well, what did you do to entice him or provoke him or how did you tempt him? And I think that's dying down a bit these days, but back in the day when the purity culture was at its highest, that was the message. And isn't there a little bit of truth to a woman should be careful how she dresses? I mean, like I've been in the store and I'm not tempted sexually at all, but I find myself looking at a woman's boobs because she's got them just literally hanging out and you can't help but look. And is there some truth to that teaching? Well, I would say <laughs> I would say that a woman has to decide how she wants to dress. And obviously if she dresses in revealing ways, people are going to look. Right? People are going to look. What people do with their mind and their hands and their body is their responsibility, not hers. Very good. So if she doesn't mind people looking, who am I to tell her how to dress? Right? That's and women who have been 90 and wrinkled and old have been raped. Babies have been raped. Children mm. have been raped. So it's not that a woman who's dressed in a tight dress or a revealing top invites rape. I really want to make that very clear. A person rapes because they rape, and it's not about how she dressed. So so there's a both and if you want to help your daughters respect themselves, then dress in a way that they feel respectable and honorable, not, you know, and, and that is their decision. How they I like that it. because it's about respecting yourself. It's not about right. preventing them yes. from thinking what they're going to think because they're going to think what they're thinking, whether the woman's got her boobs showing or not her boobs showing. If she, if they want to look at her boobs, they can look at their, her boobs, whether they're underclothes or not underclothes. Right. 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 Very true. So one woman in this discussion in our conquer group had said that she was told by her mother uh, that because she had already, she had had sex before marriage, that she was already married. And this woman in particular said she felt her sin was absolutely unforgivable. She carried the shame into adulthood and she did marry this person because, you know, that was what you're supposed to do or, or physically we'd become one flesh. So you've got to get married. And she had a miserable marriage for more than 30 years. What do you think about that teaching of becoming one flesh? And so you got to marry him. I think it's nuts. <laughs> Tell us what you really think, Leslie. <laughs> I, you know, I'm a straight shooter. I'm just going to say it as it is. What a horrible piece of advice. What a horrible piece of advice. So that because you made a mistake, now you have to make it legal. Right, because you made a mistake and you slept with the wrong person, or well, I've had women in my counseling practice who were date raped and got pregnant and were told they had to marry the person. So I have to marry a rapist. You know, what a oh horrible, gosh. horrible piece of advice. So one mistake doesn't get better by making another mistake, right? And I think that's how we have to think about that: is if someone made a mistake or someone was a victim of something, you don't fix that by making more mistakes. 
And so marriage is a relationship that is a lifetime commitment as God designed it. At least you hope it's going to be that. So if you're already dating somebody who's untrustworthy and unsafe, why would you marry that person and have children with this person who's already shown you their character, that they're selfish, they're greedy, they hurt you? If, you know, if this was a non-consensual relationship, if it was a consensual relationship, yeah, you had sex and that might have not been a smart thing to do. It doesn't mean you have to marry the person. I don't think anywhere in the Bible, it does talk about the one flesh relationship. And so there are things that are, that's why God says, don't do it till you get married. But it doesn't ever say, if you do it, you must get married. What about if a child is conceived? I mean- Obviously, it's a mistake, but now you've brought this other person into the mix. And doesn't that child deserve two parents? And, you know, a lot of women were told if you're pregnant, you've got to marry that person. Yeah, that was in the day. I don't think it's said so much today. I mean, we're having baby showers in churches for unwed moms. So I don't think it's quite the same pressure as it was back when we were younger. But I think that that certainly is one option. But it's not the only option. And I think that's where women have to recognize God gives us choices. And we can make wise choices and we can make foolish choices. And so if the baby's father has shown himself to be unhealthy, untrustworthy, cruel, deceitful, abusive, marrying this person doesn't make it better. Your no. child needs one healthy parent. And if it's just you, why would you marry someone who's unhealthy and put yourself in an environment to be more abused and your child more abused. So I think, and me, people may disagree with me on this. I have had a number of friends who've had arranged marriages who've really not fallen in love with the person. It was just parents in, in Indian culture, especially. Um, and they've had pretty good marriages. And I've had people who fell in love and married pretty terrible people. So I don't think falling in love is the criteria. I do think understanding what the Bible says which is can two walk together unless they be agreed? Um, do they? Do you share the same values? Do you share the same purposes? Do you share the same vision for your life? And I think you can create a safe and trusting relationship, even if it's no fireworks and all those kind of things in the relationship. But you cannot create a safe and healthy relationship with someone who's abusive, deceitful, uh, cruel, uh, disrespectful. You can't have even a friendship with that kind of person. Why would you marry them? Leslie, talk to the woman who maybe fell victim to the purity culture. They messed up, had sex for the first time. And then it was like, you know what? I'm unclean now. I'm dirty. What does it matter? So they just continued being promiscuous because there's no getting that back. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think a lot of women experience that. Uh, and, you know, sometimes even children who have been sexually abused or women who have been date raped or, you know, young teens who have been date raped sort of feel like they were treated like objects. So I guess I just am, and I just have to be what I am, which is a whore, or I have to be promiscuous because that's what people see me as. And we act out of our self image of who we think we are. And so I think if there's a woman like that, you get to decide how you want to write your life story. You get to decide If you've been victimized, let's say you were date raped, or let's say you just made a bad mistake and you slept with someone on a romantic evening that felt very, very momentarily good, and then in the morning it didn't feel so good, right? 
Let's say you made a mistake. Does that mean that you keep making mistakes the rest of your life? Or do you learn from those mistakes? Well, your life story is going to turn out very differently if you say to yourself when you wake up, wow, that was a mistake. I don't like myself. I feel cheap or I feel ashamed or I feel guilty or whatever you feel. Um, and I don't think I want to let myself get in that position of temptation again. It's sort of like, you know, all of us can relate. Like if I have my favorite chocolate in the house, I'm just going to eat it at night because during the day I don't ever touch it. But at night it's like, I'm tired and I want a little treat. And if it's there and it's easy, I'm going to eat it. So I have to say, if I don't want to eat that stuff, I can't have it in the house. That's a fact. Right. (laughs) And if I wake up in the morning and say, oh my gosh, I ate all that whole chocolate bar and I feel awful about myself. Then my next step is to say, I can't have that chocolate bar in the house. Not, you know, I'm just going to give up and eat chocolate the rest of my life because I can't stop. Right. And so my story is going to turn out very differently depending on how I handle that moment of regret. Well, yeah. It's like if you get drunk one night, so do you just become an alcoholic? Well, that's right. And so I call it stupid tax. We all pay stupid tax, every single one of us, that we did something stupid, we did something we regret, and there's a tax to pay. You know, we didn't file our taxes right and we've got a penalty, or, you know, you drove too fast and you've got a ticket, or you drank and then you slept with someone that you didn't want to sleep with, or you wanted to sleep with at the time, but you're now regretting that you didn't. Or you're hanging over the toilet and got a migraine the next day. All of that. Yeah. Yeah. So that's stupid tax. And it's meant to wake you up so that you don't keep paying stupid tax. And so what you said is, hey, if I if I did something wrong, this means I'm on the wrong path and I just have to stay on it. And that will create a very different ending to your story than if you say, wow, I don't want to pay this stupid tax again. What do I need to do differently when I get in that situation? What boundaries do I need to put in place for myself, for the situation? I can't drink. I can't go to those parties. I can't hang out with this person. I can't, you know, be alone with this person. I can't, whatever it is. These are moments of growth and learning for you. As painful as they are, stupid tax is painful, but as painful as they are, you get to write the rest of the ending of that story. And so please, if you don't want to end up sleeping with 50 guys, if that's not how you want your story to end, then after the first mistake, pay attention and say, wow, this doesn't mean that I'm damaged goods. This means I made a mistake and my story is going to end and I woke up and I didn't keep making that mistake. And your future will thank you. Your future self will thank you for taking the time to reflect on that instead of just defaulting to the sin nature. Leslie, do you think it's a mistake that churches teach abstinence and purity, but they maybe don't really talk about sex. Uh, One woman said she felt really naive uh, and the lack of discussion set her up for date rape or she wasn't really able to pick out uh, a guy that wasn't a good choice. What do you think churches should be teaching and maybe shouldn't be teaching? I think it starts in the home. Um, I think parents need to have good discussions with their daughters and their sons about the, dig- the dignity and value of other people, Paul says very specifically, do not defraud one another sexually. And I think that sometimes we use, people use us and we use them for our ego and our self-esteem. Like, oh, if I date a hot guy, that means I'm hot and that means I'm special. And we use people in order to build our own 
bank account of, of self-worth. And, and, and whether we use them emotionally, we use them sexually, we use them financially, however we use people, God says that's defrauding people and that is not his way. So I think teaching our children as they move into the dating world, but also in the friendship world, what does a real friendship look like? How do you have boundaries? Is it okay to say no? What happens when your no isn't respected? I think these are all relational skills that a family is really meant to teach, not the church itself. Um, and as families in the church teach those skills, that should be modeled in the church leadership. It should be modeled in the way Sunday school is run or youth group is run or whatever the church has those days. But I do think that youth pastors do have a special role in also educating teens because some parents don't do it and some parents do it wrong. And so really teaching the value of each person, it's not, hey guys, you need to find the perfect wife so that she will you know, help you in your ministry or help you with your life. It's how do we value her life too? How do we value her um, future? How do you respect a woman? I think men really need to learn how to be good men these days. I think there's a lot of toxic masculinity in the church um, and toxic femininity in the church that needs to be reoriented towards what does true godliness look like? And it doesn't look like the purity culture described both for masculinity and femininity. Um, and so I think each of those need to be revised. So if we think about the image of God, for example, in Genesis, it says in the image of God, he created male and female in the image of God, male and female. So somehow females are not just objects for males. They are also co-image bearers of the image of God. So, so the image of God is masculine and feminine. So when we educate our children in all of this, we need to help them understand that women are not just made for men. They're made in God's image for purpose and value, just like they are. And I think that teaching has been really off in traditional churches. I, I think it's changing a bit now, or there isn't even enough teaching on the proper view of relationships and how do you have healthy relationships? How do you deal with healthy conflict? What's the difference between healthy conflict and controlling abuse? And I think those are things that teenagers need to learn about because a lot of teenage women are being abused in their dating relationships. You've heard us talking a lot about Empowered to Change recently. Well, there's a reason, because Leslie and her team care about you and what's happening in your life. We want you to be confident in handling hard things and living from your core values. That's why you should join the small group coaching community. So you'll become the hero of your own story and stop living like a victim. So you'll figure out what's keeping you stuck and how to stop reacting out of your emotions. Empowered to Change is a catalyst to real change in your own life and in your relationships. Go to lesliewernick.com forward slash empowered to sign up. That's lesliewernick.com forward slash empowered. How would a parent, I guess, then, if we're going to look at what should be taught in the home, express to her child the importance of purity without making it this burden upon her so that she feels complete shame if she messes up. What's the balance there in teaching? You know, I think that educating our children about their bodies and saying, you know, God has made your body amazing. You're getting your menstrual cycle now. This is what that does. You know, your body parts, what do they do? And 
probably you've discovered by now that you have certain parts in your body that feel really good if you touch them and if other people touch them. So just being honest about that and saying, God wants you to feel good. And he wants you to have that really special connection with someone who you fully trust and fully love, who's fully committed to you. And so to do that prematurely may invite more heartache. You may pay stupid tax, whether you get pregnant, whether you get your heart broken because this person isn't really committed to you, whether you got used and discarded. All of those would be good reasons to be careful and not be frivolous with your body. And it's your body. You have to exercise self-control. No one else can control your body but you. And so really empowering them to honor themselves and care about themselves and respect themselves. Because I think when a woman does that, she's less likely to allow someone else to dishonor her and use her and abuse her. Now, is she going to get caught up in a moment and maybe go too far with a boy that she really loves and thinks she's going to marry? Maybe. So I don't want that to be the end of the world for her. Yeah. You know, so, so I don't even like the word purity, like, oh, you're pure or you're impure, sort of like the leper. Exactly. Yes. I would just use the word, hey, you know, this is, this is only, I mean, your virginity is your virginity and you're in charge of who you give that to and be sure that's a real conscious decision because God says it's best for you if you wait until you give it to the person you're committed to for a lifetime and empower her to make that choice versus defaulting because she's being pressured by a hot guy and she's yeah. emotional in the moment and just help her to discern how to do that. There was a comment by one person who said that she felt Christians handpick their sins, that somehow sex before marriage, that's the big one. But how is that more of a sin than pride or gossip? Uh, is sex before marriage a bigger sin than some of the other ones that maybe are, for lack of a better word, more acceptable in the church. Yeah, not in my Bible, it's not. Um, right? So so in Proverbs chapter six, it talks about the sins that God hates, and it doesn't say that. Um, you know, I think, again, if our body is the temple of the Holy Spirit, we are to honor our body, but it's not just in the sexual area. We're to honor our body in the way we eat. And yet, whoever talks about gluttony is a sin. Right. Nobody, there's some pretty right? fat preachers out there. <laughs> yeah, there certainly are. And yet, you know, they're the, they're the ones who are talking about sexual immorality and yet <laughs> they can eat and and not take care of their body and not exercise yeah. and not steward the the home of the Holy Spirit. So I think we do cherry pick our sins. You know, we we um you know, don't talk about misuse of power at all in the church. And that's a huge sin uh that, you know, God has given us the ability to have leadership and authority, but when we abuse that power, whether we're the church pastor, the elder board, whether it's the government, if we're a parent, we abuse our authority to get our way with our kids and we scare them to death by threatening them. All of these things are wrong, sinful, and yet we rarely talk about them. So she's right that we can kind of capitalize on the 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 sins that, you know, oh my gosh, you know, if you if you dishonor your body, that's you know, the mortal sin. It's not the mortal sin. Sin is sin. And I'm not whitewashing it that it's not. You don't have to pay some stupid tax for it. You do. But you do have to pay stupid tax for other sins too. Gluttony, you get high cholesterol, you die early, you know, you're not, you know, your your body is not Type functioning. Two diabetes, as it yeah. Yeah. All of that. And so I think 
God isn't giving us these rules. I had a dog once. Her name was Rosie. And I had two dogs. So I had two dogs. One was Alex. One was Rosie. One was the Bouvier. She was a big dog. And we had three acres. We didn't have a fence around the house, but we had three acres. Rosie could go wherever she wanted in those three acres. But she didn't. She wanted to go on the road. Alex would stay in the yard. I never had a leash her. She knew her boundaries. She would run. She would play. She would chase balls. She would do all kinds of things. She had total freedom of the whole big yard. Rosie would go into the road and she was going to get hit by a car. Yeah. Now our boundary, so, so we had to put her on a leash and we had to like stake it in the ground. And when she when we let her out, she didn't have freedom anymore because she disrespected the boundaries. The boundaries were put in for her safety. You know, we didn't have a fence, but hey, you have this whole big yard you can play in. Don't go in the road. It's going to hurt you. And I think that's how I see God's rules. Sometimes we see God's rules as restrictions like, oh God, you don't mean to have any fun. You're not allowed me to have sex before marriage. You're not allowed me to do this. You know, it's not, it's not that you have freedom. You have freedom to eat of any tree in the garden. Just yes. don't eat this one. You have freedom. The whole three acres, you can run and play and you're just a little dog. You couldn't even cover all these three acres and you're, you're running, right? Mm -hmm. And yet she was drawn to the road. And it was a busy road and she was going to get hit by a car. So I had to put her on a leash and stake her into the ground. And now she didn't have freedom. And so I think this is how I see the rules. The 10 commandments are given, all 10 are to do with relationship, our relationship with God and our relationship with one another. Why shouldn't you commit adultery? Not because God's trying to ruin your fun with your neighbor. He's saying, it's going to hurt you. It's going to hurt people. It's going to hurt your relationship with your husband. It's going to hurt their relationship with their spouse. It's going to hurt. You're going to pay stupid tax. And so he's giving us these guidelines and these rules in the scriptures for our welfare, not to restrict us. And I think if we can begin to get a picture of the love of God and why he does what he does, it's much easier to say, wow, he's not saying this because he's some killjoy who doesn't want me to have a great sex life. He wants me to have a great sex life. He's created my body to have a great sex life. And I don't want to mess it up. I pray for people who have been impacted negatively by purity culture. And maybe for those little ones that we're raising that need to be taught, but in an appropriate way about abstinence and sex. Lord, I just thank you for creating, being so creative and, and allowing human beings to experience deep pleasure in our sexual relationship, both in feeling safe and in feeling close to someone and feeling loved and also feeling very powerful physical pleasure. And women are given special parts just to feel that, that have no other purpose. Lord, I pray for the women who are listening to this or the man to understand our bodies are fearfully and wonderfully made. And they are made not just to be worker bees. They are made to enjoy our life, our one precious life. And yet we keep reaching for the apple. We think there's better on the other side where you tell us, no, it's only going to lead to harm and death. Um, and so, Father, help us to believe you, not just believe in you, but to believe you when you say, this is for this and this is for that, that we would trust that you know best because you made us. You know what will bring us life, and you know what will crush our hearts. And Father, I pray for any person here who feels like damaged goods because their virginity was stolen by a selfish predator, whether it was a 
an abusive relationship or a date rape or just a pressure from a boyfriend who wanted what he wanted and a woman didn't know how to say no. Lord, that you would just help her realize that just because her virginity is no longer intact doesn't make her damaged goods. It taught her something. It can make her stronger and wiser. So, Father, I pray that she would never just feel like things are ruined because of one mistake. I think of all the disciples and all the people you used. Moses made mistakes. Aaron made mistakes. Miriam made mistakes. Joshua made mistakes. Paul made mistakes. Everyone makes them. Lord, help us not to be afraid to live. And when we make mistakes, to trust that we are forgiven that you cast our sins as far as the East is from the West, and that we have a do-over. Help us to take that and live freely. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for joining us today. We hope you'll consider joining Empowered to Change as well, so you can learn to live from your core values, not your emotions. If you want to be proud of how you show up every day, go to leslievernick.com forward slash empowered. Until next time, may God bless your mind, your heart, and your home.